Major Lazer comes out with like a song that makes it on the radio now, and so now you hear all these copycat songs. But that's not the way it works. Like the reason those you know those are good songs that came in through bubbled in through the underground, and that's always been happening. And then you know, but the mainstream just doesn't get it. Hello and welcome, fellow music lover. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Travels in Music, the podcast that shares stories about music from all over the world and explores a musical planet. Thanks for joining me today. My guest today is a founding member in one of the most unique, interesting, and eclectic groups on the world stage. Back in 2006, Delhi to Dublin began as a side project for vocalist Sanjay Saran. As the band name suggests, Sanjay and fellow founding member Tarun Nayar began playing a fusion of North Indian Bhangra and Celtic music, with a healthy dose of electronica thrown in for good measure. I remember clearly that when the band first appeared in the Canadian music scene 10 years ago, they sounded like nothing else. It was exciting, it was intriguing, and more than anything, it made you want to move. This remains true today, though over the years their sound has evolved to increasingly feature elements from bass electronic music. Their latest album, We're All Daisy, has garnered Delhi to Dublin some of the strongest reviews of their career, and their audience, in their native Canada and beyond, continues to grow. These days, Sanjay and his bandmates tour on multiple continents, finding a particularly eager and appreciative new audience for their sound in India. I wanted to talk to Sanjay to better understand what it's like being part of such a unique musical project, the challenges he's faced as a result, and what he envisions for Delhi to Dublin's future. In today's episode of Travels and Music, Sanjay and I have a wide-ranging discussion about all of these issues, as well as discussing what it's like touring in India, fatherhood, the challenges of trying to make it in the 21st century music business, and much more. Before we begin, a quick reminder that if you're enjoying these podcasts and you'd like me to continue making them, please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a rating and a review, as this really is the best way to show your support for my show. So without any further ado, I hope you enjoy sitting in on my conversation with Delhi to Dublin vocalist and founding member Sanjay Sarai. So the first thing I wanted to ask you about is, so you, you and the band recently made your first trip to India earlier this year, right? Yeah. Um, that was rad. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just going to ask you, what, how was that? What was that like? I mean, we've all, okay, so we've all gone before with various projects or just visiting or whatever that is, but going as Delhi W, it was, it was interesting because we consider ourselves a very West Coast band. We only really like touring the west coast because people get the vibe and all that and we're like okay this is rad and we go there it was besides the awesomeness of being india you know like okay you know i'm there we're eating all the best food we're having so much fun for that those reasons the, the shows were unexpectedly awesome for the fact that i guess i mean we, we're we know what's going on there but 
we're playing Indian music and we're playing bass music. And you go to India and right now, bass music is, I mean, for the longest time, their electronic underground scene, is, it's been huge. The amount of festivals they have and stuff, that's all happening. And so we go there and we don't have to win anyone over. We don't have to do anything. We, they just get it. They understand exactly what we're doing. We're not weird. And that that's that's weird for us. You know, like a lot of times, let's say we <laughs> go to the East Coast, half the show is... You know, you spend half the people look at you like, what is this? And then finally they get it. And then they start, you know, the party's really happening. And in India, it's like, there's nothing. They understand the lyrics. They understand the vibe. Then they get the bass. And it's like, this is awesome. This is where we belong. We're not the underdog trying to prove ourselves. We're just like, we're a band that has equal, like an an opportunity that like a a regular rock band in, in Vancouver would have or Canada would have or the States would have. And that's something we'd never experienced, really, unless we're in the West. Like, you know, it's different. We play in Vancouver, and you walk on a stage, and yes, everyone's, you know, anticipating the show, and they cheer when you come on. But to get that kind of vibe in a whole new country, that was um, really awesome. So what, I mean, that's interesting. So did what, what, what were your, uh, your expectations then, either yours or, or the band's uh, as a whole? Like, what were you guys expecting when you got on the plane? Um, okay, so the first show was uh, the Jaipur Literature Festival. Um, that one was done as a DJ set, so I, w- I wasn't there. And I know that T, when he when they got there, they were expecting, they were like told they're playing an after party. So normally an after party for a festival or something, they expected it to be like in the hotel, in a hotel ballroom or something like that. Maybe, you know, when you play a van- like a folk festival after party, it's usually for the volunteers and the staff and that sort of thing. And this was an after party with like, 8,000 people outdoor this huge festival stage so he didn't really they didn't really realize what they were kind of getting into and then the minute they started dropping the tracks it was like it was like as if they'd showed up you know it was like as if Diplo had showed up or something like it was <laughs> unreal and we have the video like I've seen all the video footage and stuff and people were just going ape shit like losing their minds people were it's funny um we had a uh, a documentary dude following us around and we were making, you know, a documentary. Maybe we shot a video while we were there and he's got slow motion footage he captured of some of the people in the front row and you see people like banging their heads and stuff, like just slapping their heads and just just losing their shit. And we're like, what is going on here? And then without even knowing, like, it's not like our music plays there. So people don't really know who we are, you know, but they were singing the lyrics by the end of every song. Like, it was so crazy, man. And then we played another huge festival, which is Sula Fest, which is just outside of Bombay. Um, and it was insane. Like, the lineup was so cool, man. The The night before us was Cat Empire and Balkan Beatbox. And then we played after Kailash Care. And, um, like, just to be in that sort of, you know, in that category of, of bands. Like, we've played with these bands at other festivals before, but to be in India with with bands that we really want to look up to, to feel that are in the same world as us. And those bands are definitely much more known than we are. And to just have to rock it just as well, uh, if not better, you know, that, that felt amazing. So when was the first time you went to India? I think I was like in grade five or something. Right. Um, well, you, yeah, you grew I up went. in, uh, in Vancouver or, or Surrey, right? Yeah. No, in Vancouver, Richmond, okay. actually. I guess I, what I'm getting at is um, I'm curious about your identity as an Indo-Canadian and how this recent trip maybe has, has shifted that for you or, or or if it has or not. Like, this might be a silly question, but like growing up, like, did you really feel like you were Indian in some way? 
Uh, you felt, you know, when you go back far enough, you felt you felt you were different. Different. We've how? talked about this, but you know, you're like you're you realize that your home life is different than your buddy Lance's home life. You know, like <laughs> right, right. Like you're like okay. Um, I go home and I eat roti and dal and rice and stuff, and it's like oh, and you start to figure out that very quickly that. There is a life that you know at home that's completely different than what your friends do. And then you realize that the majority of the people in your school don't really know what it is that you do. And you're the one that's doing the different things as opposed to, oh, their life is different. It's like, oh, you're the one that's different. And then there's another twist in my life is that my parents had come from Singapore. So they moved to Vancouver and Singapore to Richmond in 72 and the fact that they came from Singapore meant that we would mix, they would mix Malay words in at home. So for me, it wasn't even that I knew that I was speaking Punjabi or whatever. I knew we were Punjabi, but I would mix my Punjabi with Malay words too, because that's what was spoken at home. It was like this mixture. So even when I was speaking to certain family relatives that lived here, but had emigrated straight from India, they wouldn't understand some of my Punjabi because I'm using Malay words. And I wouldn't even understand that that was a separate language. So there was a, you know, this all kinds of weird, this weird stuff. And then I didn't actually experience a lot of uh, racism or anything, though. And growing up in Richmond was actually pretty awesome. It was super positive. So I don't even have that kind of like that the chip on my shoulder, like like a lot of people who grew up in the UK would have. You know, there sure. was a lot of racism there. And there, I'm sure there was a lot here, but I didn't, fortunately, like, you know, I'm glad I, I didn't have to deal with that. So I, I got to see, I have a pretty positive experience um but then so like relating to what you know you go through these phases like you go to the mall and your grandma comes along and you realize she's wearing indian clothing she's wearing like a punjabi suit and and at home it's all good and then you go to the mall and you're like you're a kid you're getting embarrassed of that kind of stuff and, and it's like now there is no embarrassment of that kind of stuff and you celebrate diversity you know like it's cliche and stupid as that sounds like it sounds like a a, a tagline for <laughs> you know, a multicultural channel. I think it is. I think it's Shaw's tagline <laughs> yeah, or something. Definitely. Right. Yeah. But, but we really are. And it's like, it's like now it's like, I mean, we're not fully there, but living in Vancouver, I mean, it's definitely the gayer you are, the cooler, like the, the more flamboyant you are about it. Like the, the cooler it is, the, the fact that you can, you know, it got to the point where in Surrey, you, you know, in the nineties cars with systems and stuff were, were, were pumping Punjabi music and stuff and started to become this, you know, like, oh, okay, there's these these, these cool factors. Like, I, this stuff is cool. It is okay for this. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you know, like the gay best friend or the, or the oh, I got the, I have a one black friend or whatever. We become like, oh, yeah, I know an Indian person. <laughs> I've been to an, I've been to an Indian wedding, you know, and then it became kind of like that sort of thing and started to happen. Like, it, it, it the cliches all kind of happen that you hear and see in movies and stuff like that. And by about 92... You know, Apache Indian was on the, on the radio, and that blew my mind. That that fucking that blew my mind. The first time I heard Apache Indian, it was like my alarm went off. I was in grade eight, and I'm hearing Punjabi stuff on the radio, and I couldn't I couldn't even I couldn't understand what was happening. Like my world was about to, like I knew my world was gonna change. How so? It was about to just to hear Punjabi music on the radio. Like as 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 reggae as Apache Indian was, and as much English as it was, there was I heard the word jalebi on Z95.3 
in Vancouver, which was like as mainstream as it got. You know, like that's where I was listening to all my music. I was there's three radio stations at that time that I was listening to, and I I couldn't fathom it. Like I just a little Punjabi kid, you never ever think you're gonna hear that on mainstream radio. Blue, yeah, it was like I can't even explain it. So did it did it have any impact on your own desire to to try to make a living making music? Um, at that time, I mean, no, I don't think. At that time, I knew what you know what I was doing. I'm just a stupid grade eight kid that's like like oh right whatever like you hear that song, and I remember like I I didn't even get in that morning the first time I heard it. I remember my brother woke up and I woke up and we were eating breakfast. And I was like, did you hear that song? And he's like, yeah, like like what was like what was that? And then that was it, you know like. Um, I definitely feel it was the same year that I went to my first real concert, which was U2. Um, I remember it was November 3rd, 1992, and that was at BC Place. It was a sold-out show, um, two nights in a row. I went on the first night, and I remember that being equally as mind-blowing, just to be able to see a concert, like a real concert that's not like, you know, a kiddie concert or whatever, you know, it's Charlotte Diamond. So that blew my mind. So there, there's these they'd start, things started to happen around that time. Um, I never at that point knew what, you know, I don't, I don't think I do. I can't really remember if I at that point wanted to be a singer or whatever, but every kid at that time thinks you're going to be in the NBA. You think you're going to be something famous. Every kid's going to be like, I'm going to be something that's, I'm going to be famous. Right. So (laughs) yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know how much that affected me at the time. Um, but I've definitely in retrospect, man, I know that once I heard Apache Indian that like my life had changed and then, and I think it was a couple of years around the same time I was listening. I had heard the Bali Sagu remixes of like all the Punjabi songs, like the, the the popular Malkit Singh and stuff like that. And he had come out with Wham Bam and stuff. So there was like these re, these remixes and these reggae versions coming out of the UK. And I mean, I had limited access to this stuff because we were we would you know you can only watch videos and stuff that were playing on the local multicultural channels and. Like any media source that you're, you know, you're not getting the whole picture. So you, we were getting the more Indian stuff, the more, you know, the less of the UK stuff and definitely nothing on the underground realm. I mean, nothing that was really cool that was happening coming out of the, out of UK. We were really seeing. And I, I don't even know when I really knew I wanted to do this kind of stuff, you know, like it just, just kind of, uh, I think in high school I was in drama classes and, and I really enjoyed it, and I was good at it. And I think at that around that point, I was like, okay, there's something here that I need to do that's, that's quote unquote different. Like I'm not going to go down the regular the regular path. And I remember about grade nine or ten, I had the strongest feeling that yes, I'm going to do something that's going to like affect the world in some way, or I'm going to do something that's special. And I guess at that point, you also associate that yeah, I'm still like I still had that like I'm going to be famous or whatever. It's like the last thing I want now, but at the time, that that's what it was associated with, and those feelings were super strong. And I and I, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe all kids at that age of fourteen or fifteen still feel that. Like I think, you know, up until I was like, <laughs> up until I was thirty, I still think I was going to be in the NBA, right? Like those dreams are hard. They, they're still there, right? They linger. I'm like, yeah, I can do it. So yeah, there was that thing, and I was in choir and stuff in high school too. So. And, and then grade 12 and stuff, I was in vocal jazz. And I, I always sang. Like, I wouldn't even get in trouble by teachers and stuff. Like, I was always just talking and singing and stuff. Like, you know, like a little jukebox. And that's still there. Like, lyrically, pop songs, whatever, man. Like, jukebox. I can I can just regurgitate that stuff. 
Well, you said that the the band started as a side project, right? Or like it, you just formed off for some one-off performance, and things sort of sort yeah. of formed started to take off from there. It magically kind of happened. It was commissioned by Doug Simpson. So Doug Simpson was the artistic director of the Vancouver Folk Fest. Um, he had a pretty good relationship with Tarun um, for for dealing with other things, other little projects that had been part of the Folk Festival. And so for the Celtic, he was also the AD for the Celtic Festival here. And so Beats Without Borders, which is a DJ collective that T is a part of and was a part of, um, was you know hired to do the club night on like the Thursday night because the festival is like a week long. So they're like, okay. But they spin mostly Asian underground and a lot of global bass music and global dance music. So T was like, well, I don't have any Irish electronic music because I've, you know, I just, it's not what I do. And so Doug was just like, well, we'll make it then. If you can't find any that you're liking, make it. Like he, he was pretty rad. He's a pretty rad guy. Uh, I haven't seen him in five years or six years, but he's just like so, so super forward thinking, a really good, uh, the right type of personality to be an artistic director for a for a festival. And he was just like, make it. So T T basically got together with um, Kaitami, who was a fiddler he had seen perform somewhere and liked what she was about and liked her raw energy and stuff. Wrote two tracks with another DJ in the collective, Adrian. And then kind of contacted me because he had hired me for a show, two shows with Beats Love Orders. Um, and I was in another band called Signia at the time, which was like a live Punjabi pop act, fusion pop act. I don't know if you will use that word. Uh, and then he was like, hey, man, check out this, check out this beat. Um, let me know if you can do something like some small Punjabi thing on it and let me know. And I'm like, OK, cool, man. So I recorded something like the next day and emailed it to him. And he was like, wicked, show up at, the, uh, at this day. At this club, it was like at the plaza or venue or something on Granville Street. I'm like, hey, cool, man. Show up at Soundcheck, meet everyone. And that was that, man. We played the show that day. I My bit's like two minutes or something out of like a 15-minute bit, which had like four Irish dancers or three Irish dancers, two fiddlers, one of which was Oliver Schroer, which is amazing that he was a part of this whole thing on the first day. And uh, and that was it, man. Seriously, the history. Like that day... Enough people were in the audience, local Vancouver uh, movers and shakers that do, you know, little festivals, street parties, that sort of thing. And we just started getting booked, like, and it just started happening. And there was like, that first two years, we were just on this crazy trajectory. We got booked to play the Can- for the Canadian Association of Broadcasters. That led us to playing Parliament Hill um, for Canada Day in front of like 150,000 people nationally broadcast. Um, it was just like, and then all of us, you know, we we're starting to play folk festivals. We played Salmon Arm Roots and Blues Festival and sold out like our hundred, we had a hundred EP, hundred CDs with us of this EP, a three track EP. And we sold out in five minutes and we we're like, what is going on? And it was, it was unreal how fast everything happened in the beginning. So when was the moment when you decided to, to pursue this full time? Um, I mean, I think by that point I was working at a bank and I was like, I'm going to be a full-time musician. Like this is, this had already happened. So about 18, I started performing. Uh, I started playing the Dole first with a crew called the Dole Connections. And then we would play like weddings and dragon boat festivals and stuff like that. Like just like 14, 15 drummers. And we you know we can get out. So I had the bug. It was like, this is, this is it, man. This is sick. This is what I'm doing. Um, I was at university at the time. And by about third year, I was like, fuck this. I'm out. I hate university. I hated what I was doing. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Yeah, like, I, just, I did economics and I hated it. Like by that point, it, I was super bitter. 
Um, you know, and that was like pretty, that's pretty cliche there too. You know, like I had to go to school obviously, and I, and I don't regret it. I mean, having an education to fall back on is super important. If anyone was like, Hey, I'm going to be a musician. I'd be like, Hey, go to school. Like, don't, don't stop that. Like, I don't believe in plan B's really. Um, but I do believe you need to have something to fall back on. And if that's a plan B, maybe, maybe I do believe in it. Like, I don't, I guess I really, what I don't, I believe in education. And, and being, you know, being educated, being intelligent, but I don't believe in a plan B because I was like, you know, regardless of what I was doing, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And this is going to be everything I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. And I gave everything to do it by that point, by, by third year, which is what, like 20, 20 years old, 21. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And by that point, I'd already started my first band uh, so yeah, and, and I was going for it. So. But did you? Um, it sounds like you re- you realized pretty early on that that Delhi to Dublin had legs, and you should pursue that project full time. Well, we okay. So, oh, sorry, that was what the question was. Um, yeah, like by the time we did this, it was still a side project for the, the first at least the first year, and then when we sat down, so a salmon arm that Roots and Blues Festival was the marker because after that we sold all those CDs, and that was like you know, like the biggest audience we'd played for at the time, we sat down in the hotel after and go, okay, well, we're going to write an album now. We're like, okay, cool. So it's still a side project, although we're writing an album for it. And about, I think it was another year later, we sat down. We were in uh, just outside of Duncan on the island. We sat down in this coffee shop and everyone's like, okay, like this is going well. Like, And we're like, well, what are we dedicating to this? And what's going to happen? And we went and said, okay, let's do it. Let's go for it. We're going to make this our let's let's make this this full-time thing let's go for it let's try to make this work and everyone was in ingredients it was it was really uh you know very pragmatic sat down had a meeting with all five of us and we're like hey like what's what's what are your intentions what do you want to do sort of thing and we're like let's 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 go for it man let's do it and that's when it was about then so like about 08 we were like yeah we're this is it we're gonna go for it and everyone everyone committed everyone kind of focused in and just did it and i i and there it was yeah, I mean, going going back a little bit, I'd uh, so in a recent interview, I heard you say something to the effect that that the band started as this really fun side project, yeah. but in recent years it became a bit quote too serious, and I yeah. found that intriguing. What 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 exactly did you mean by that? You know, like you're like okay, now all of a sudden there's a lot riding on this. This is full time. By that time, there was you know there's only there's three members that own the band, and we have two side side people and. You know, you're like, this is our full-time thing. This needs to, this needs to, it's like, I don't know. You're like, this, there's it, almost like there's pressure, the pressure for the success. There's pressure for you to be able to be sustainable. And then you start, you start holding the reins tighter and tighter, you know, and pressure from who pressure from like yourself or outsiders from or ourselves. Who? Yeah. Like to grow, to build. And um, there's a few, okay, there's a couple of things here that are going on at the same time. So by the, by the time it started to get too serious, the, we had put out an album we, or we were writing an album at the time that we were like, okay, we need, we need to take this to the next level. And we thought, okay, well, let's go for an album that's going to get some radio play. You know, like that's, that was the push and that was turn up the stereo album. And that album is so weird like now we listen what is like that was that was the the album that took us away from where we had been going you know and it was super weird and like okay we need radio play and and then just the amount of work because we're we were we're doing everything independently 
the amount of work we were doing, it was just, it, it started to get not, it wasn't fun. Like, and it was getting too serious for that reason as well. Like we're, you know, I'm at home doing all the bookkeeping. It's taking up all my time on the road. I'm tour managing and it's like, it's just not fun anymore. I'm, I'm entering in receipts every single night. It doesn't matter if I'm smoking the joint or not after I, I've still got to do all this work. Like it's not like relaxed time after the show. I'm like, you know, plus we run, we, we tons taken so much into our own hands like this is a mentality we've had from the beginning we couldn't really trust people to do what we wanted to do you can't just show up at a festival in front of house guys going to give you the mix you want like they think a certain thing and we're like well no this is our sound and we can't afford to take a front of house guy with us so how do we you know how do we do this so i'm running our our monitor system i'm running this and it's like uh, an in-ear system that we we build with the guys at Long McQuaid so we can run everything off laptop and we can fly with it and travel with it. So I'm like, the setup time before the show, uh, tour managing after the show, the amount of work that's being done at home, and, and it's all boring work that I don't like to do. And then Tarun is running the other side of things. He's in contact with the with the agents constantly and our manager and making sure that things are going. And it was like, they're, they're, we are doing way too much work. This fucking sucks. I'm not having fun anymore. And we had said this. We said, if we're not having fun, this project needs to end because the whole thing started as this fun side project. So now we've taken, I guess now we're in a position where the steps have been taken. We've, we actually, we have new management. Uh, a lot of the stuff has been taken off our plate because we got to the point where we, you know, we were a plant that needed to be repotted. You know, we just, now we're in a bigger pot and it's in there's room to grow and it's like fun again. I go on tour and it's really fun. Like, I don't have to do anything. I've I've relinquished all my, all the boring stuff. I'm not doing it. We have we have bookkeepers, accountants that can deal with tax issues all over the world. You know, like this is the stuff that the average person wouldn't know is happening, or would think that oh yeah, the musicians don't have to deal with that. And anyone who's hustling and knows, yeah, we're like nowadays you do all that yourself. And it got to the point where we just couldn't, man. And um. And it was like that's it, that's final. And I had a I had a kid in uh, in November, and I said before that was happening, I was like, that's it, man. I'm not doing this stuff anymore. I thought I heard I a baby want... in the background at one point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's eating. He's eating his breakfast. Yeah, and it was like uh, I, I'm not gonna do this. I just want to spend time with him. Like I want to tour, and I want to when I'm at home, I want to be with him. I don't want to be sitting in a pile of receipts and, and sorting and, and spreadsheets and stuff. And we were fully, very quickly able to do that. So and. How- um, Sorry, yeah? No, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, I, I guess it, it can, the story kind of continues where um, I, the interview that I said that on was actually in this mini documentary that we did for the for when we were in India. And I was like, it. we had, uh, after that, we came back and we just recently, in January, we did a vision and like a goal setting um, and visioning exercise thing with, with professionals and spent uh, two days kind of really honing in on what it is we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And even that, like, you know, working on the business side of things itself, now that we're 10 years in, is so important. Like any small business, we're now a successful small business and needs to work on the business side of things. And we've been in it for so long that now we can actually take a step out and look at it from like, you know, from like a little bit of an outside perspective and be like, what is it that we're doing? Are we just running around like chickens with our heads cut off? Or how do we... How do we start to say no to gigs and what it is, which gigs we want to do? And, that, and and it made things so clear and it's like so obvious. But until you sit down and talk about it, like we had been doing in the band all along anyway, 
you know, we kind of stopped doing that thing. We stopped almost scared to have a meeting to say what it is we wanted to do because we were almost scared to say like, fuck, this sucks now. And now we're in a place where it's like life is so fun, man. We're like just flying in, flying out. You know, we're still hustling, working. You know, we work at this every single day, but it's it's way more fun again. And I feel like that's just going to be so good for the music. Writing this last album was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had. Like, it's, you know, as much deadlines as there is and whatever, it was so fun and it was so good. And it felt like this album really is in line, whether some people or fans might be like, oh, yeah, this is so electronic or not. This is way more in line with how the band started. And I feel like this album could actually follow that first album easily because it, it works. It actually sits in the same world. If you look at it from, you know, like minus the, the quality of production or whatever it's, it actually is in line with where this band was going and headed in the beginning. So, I mean, first off that's, you say you're like, you're like a very West coast band and that's such a West coast thing to do. You guys are doing like a vision goal quest. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. like, you know, you're not going to hear some New York city punk band uh, <laughs> talking about doing that. That's awesome. Right. Um, so, I mean, nowadays, yeah. who knows, man? People everywhere is like, okay, well, we went, you know, went to the desert, did some peyote, yeah, sat together, true. and just, you know, so I don't know, but it is true. So, I mean, I, this actually relates to something I wanted to ask you. So what, and perhaps you don't want to share, but what is the goal right now? Like, what are you really striving towards either as a, as a musician yourself or as a band? Uh, you know, it's awesome, man. I can answer that really clearly nowadays. It's who cares about radio? You know, radio will help. If we had a song on the radio, yeah, it would be awesome. But we have also realized that we've there are bands that are on the radio that, you know, they they get a song or whatever, and people know about them. But then things are happening so quickly; it doesn't really that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be sustainable. So we want this to be sustainable. Right. This is what we love doing. We love touring. We want to keep playing. We we're also a band that's done it, and we're in it now. We're ten years in. And you're almost like okay, holy, like at some point this thing switched, and we're veterans. And we're like, wow, like, I actually know what I'm doing now. And I can say that with confidence. Like, I don't think I could say that a couple of years ago. But now I'm going to be like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know every aspect because we did it from the beginning, from the ground up. And now I have people doing stuff for me. But I'm not like, one, I'm not going to get ripped off. Two, I know exactly what's going on. I understand how like most of the rights work and synchronization and licensing and all that sort of thing. And it's awesome to be in this position because it's a position of power. And so a couple of things that we want to be doing is we want to be helping um, – other people come up and there's a lot like we felt like for a while I felt like Delhi to Dublin had done so much work and there was no one coming in to step into our shoes along the way. There should there should have been, in my opinion, someone younger, faster and smarter come in with better beats, better production, better music and, and that should have eclipsed Delhi to Dublin and they did and no one has stepped up yet. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Why has that not happened? That normally does happen. And it's like, and I find that, so that's where me and T are kind of focusing a lot of our time is to start to get these, these kids that are now, there's, there's, there's scenes popping up and we're seeing it. And T's the artistic director of the Vancouver International Fungar Celebration. So being a part of the VIBC he, and being an AD, he's, he's just looking for talent and stuff. So he's starting to see pockets pop up. There's like a crew in Brampton that's doing stuff. There's a crew's. There's people in Vancouver doing stuff, but they're not. Um, they didn't. They don't have the resources that we we had for some reason. I'm not sure why that is. Like I'm not sure. They don't know that there's grants available. They don't know how to apply for these grants. They're not even targeted for these grants and stuff like that. So that's a big focus on us. It's like to, how to bring these, some of these brown kids up 
<laughs> and be like, hey, man, like these these things, these options are available. We've seen the world and we've played the festivals that you guys should be playing. And it's like, OK, that's 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 definitely one thing we're, we want to work on. Um, and just to continue the other, you know, like we're, we're in this now. We're having so much fun. It's just to keep growing and keep doing bigger and better things. And in a way that works with how the band works, that we've been doing it our own way for so long. And now finally, you know, there's there's all these avenues and how you can do things your own way. And people may, you know, we're not making money off streaming revenues and all that yet, but these models are coming into place that will, it'll, it'll work itself out. Like, yeah, maybe I'm overly optimistic, but the models are there. They're getting, you know, ironing out a lot of the wrinkles so that artists can make the money. But these, these things are happening. It's like an exciting time. You know, we don't need to worry about getting on the radio because the radio is controlled by old, old white dudes who like have no no fucking idea what's good music no way like you know what i mean like yeah okay so there was uh major laser comes out with like a song that makes it on the radio now and so now you hear all these copycat songs but that's not the way it works like the reason those you know those are good songs that came in through bubbled in through the underground and that's always been happening and then you know but the mainstream just doesn't get it and the the media outlets just don't get it, you know. We so we just recently played. Um, so now it's funny; it's kind of like full circle. So it wasn't the it wasn't the Canadian Association of Broadcasters; it was the BC BC Association of Broadcasters. We just played their little gala uh, a month ago, and it's a it's a room full of like the majority is old old white people, and they're like, "Why have we not heard of you guys? What is this? You guys and you know and we're like, well, we're Factor funded, we're Radio Star Maker funded." These funds are all been put in place by, you know, CRTC regulations and all that kind of stuff. So we're a band that's come up from the system, but you've never heard of us because you won't play us on the radio. And people are like, you need to be on the radio. All these people from stations. I'm like, does your station even have format for us? Like, is And they're like, actually, no. Like, And, you know, I was talking to some guy. He's like, this is amazing, but my station doesn't have anything for you guys, but you guys should be on radio. And it's like, well, that's the story every radio station is telling us, like. But how how far back are you guys? Like, look at what's happening. Look at the world we live in. If you look in Richmond, you look in Vancouver, you look these the the Filipino communities and the canto pop the, the well the Chinese communities that are listening to like Mandarin music and canto pop, and you got the Korean communities listening to K-pop and the Punjabi people listening to the Punjabi whatever whatever version of Punjabi music they're listening to. Like that's. That's real. That's happening. But the radio does not represent what the world actually looks like. So that's a major thing for us is not necessarily f not fighting that, but just to continue doing what we're doing to just kind of set that example of what the world is really like and just kind of like breaking down these barriers. You know, if I'm if I'm the one who's able to play at this kind of gala and be like, check this out. This is open. your. This is happening in the world. Like, hey, hey, hello. Right, like, right. That's awesome. And then letting these next, like, kind of like I can kind of say, I guess I'm old enough now, like, to say, let these kids kind of move in and be like, hopefully they get a chance and the the, the system changes. And and I'm, we're seeing it, you know. I'm I feel really positive about it. I'm not even. It's not like a, it's not like an aggression or anger. It's like okay, sweet, things are finally happening. It's slow as they take to happen, but I'm glad that's I'm, our focus. Yeah, like yeah. It, yeah, it's and and they keep rocking parties, man. Like, yeah. 
I'm glad to hear that. As a fan of the band, I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I was going to just briefly, I know I have to let you go soon, but I, so I went to see you guys in Ottawa, I guess last year. Um, mm-hmm. And I was about to get a, a little defensive. I, I, I've lived on the West Coast, but I'm originally from uh, Ontario. And I was like, no, yeah. the, the Ottawa crowd was totally into it. Like we totally got it. But then I'm remembering like it was at like a like an Indian festival, festival or something. In so, India. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, okay. Point taken. It, it is. I mean, we, we'll play like... We'll play. We'll, we can go and play a lot of. You know, we've we've played the Brooklyn Bowl and and we've rocked it, but it's not. You know, it's not sold out like Ziggy Marley is selling it out. But um, you know, we have the support of the people in certain pockets, but it's it's hard. It's just it is different. Like you, we we spend so much time in California, so we really can say like the vibe there is different. They get it. Yeah. They yeah. they understand it. It's so funny you say that because, like, you know, I used to think the the major North American distinction was between Canada and and the United States. But when I moved to Vancouver, it was like, no, 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 it's it's East Coast versus West Coast. Like, there is a yeah. really different feeling, and and you feel it all. You know, when you go down through Washington State and Oregon and California, it's like, okay, it feels it kind of feels like Canada. You know, it's like it, it feels yeah. very similar. Yeah, the vibes there for sure. Yeah, definitely. So what's what's your biggest challenge right now? Is it, is it the screaming baby in the background, or like what's what's the biggest challenge um, for you right now? I'm I'm not totally sure. There is a bunch of little challenges. I think it's like there is. I think it's more about internal internal happiness is the big challenge. Um, so out of that visioning exercise. There were some of the things that kind of came out of that between the three of us was what are we happy making and what do we want to do? And so we really wanted to explore uh, and especially going after going to India and coming back and realizing like how open they are to us and how they get the bass music. It's like we really want to create some more uh, like heavier bass music. And so the challenge comes that Delhi to Dublin kind of gets pigeonholed sometimes. Hmm. And we... We play, we've played Shambhala Festival four times. This is an example. And we've been told now that they won't book us because, you know, there's different bookers and there's different stages for each booker. And they, we understand there's no there's no more live stage. But they they said Delhi to Dublin is cheesy. And then so there's now the challenges is coming to are we or is it that it's weird and ethnic and it's like this. But we've we've rocked it every single time we've played there. So it's like, is Delhi to Dublin holding certain things back because of the name or what the what people expect the band to be or how it should be? And then like now we have actual fans for so long that it's like if we defer from what we've been doing, do people start to say, oh, that's not Delhi to Dublin? But then like trying to remind remind people that the reason that you liked it in the first place is that we did we were doing something that was different. So why would you want to keep us now? We did something that was different in the, in the beginning. Why do you want to keep us doing exactly that forever? And I think every band, that's like a regular challenge for any band. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Like you can't seem to progress and move because people get a little bit upset. But then you're like, that's kind of good that you make an album because that kind of lives on forever. You're like, well, that point of our time still exists, but that was 10 years ago. Like any person has has changed in 10 years and if you haven't well is that a good thing i don't know if that's a good thing like staying exactly the same for 10 years so that's a challenge for sure um how we want to express ourselves create creatively and stuff like that that's that's kind of the constant challenge but i think that's good that's good uh it's the good turmoil that creates art and lets you you know talking about it and doing it and making it and being like well we don't care the constant talk it's it's good it's good it's good challenges i think and just 
now and just growing man how to get how to how to blow up like just do this thing properly and and so we've and just the fact that we've gotten the love from india is like we know we know we got to go there so we're going back there continue to grow that just good just regular good challenges of growing a business and that business happens to be a band awesome man well, when when are you going back to india do you know yet uh it's somewhere around december january february like the festival seasons oh um, cool man yeah so times of india is our label there now and that's awesome they're a major label and they're fully backing us and they're like they're they're taking over bookings management everything for that region and it's like they're pumped they're so excited they don't get bands like us mm-hmm. they don't get bands that are providing their own assets and like hustling and and doing making their own videos and stuff you know there's kind of that mentality of i'm the star now make me you know like now do what you got to do so we're like here you go like we've done you know we're doing videos for almost every single song on the album and we fund it we're like here you go and they're like dude this is amazing so they're willing they can put their dollars behind getting us out and marketing and that sort of thing which is it's like the right time it's the right time for us to be collaborating with uh with you know with good people and and that sort of thing. So yeah, it went, they'll they'll let us know in the next month when the festivals are being booked, and we'll know what's going on, how long we're going there for. And I just can't wait. Although I got so fat, man. Last time I fuck, I ate way too much. Food. <laughs> oh, Punjabi food, especially, it's so good. <laughs> oh, you can yeah, blow up man. if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> and the sweets and everything. It's just oh god, I love India. Um, well, that's yeah. great. Maybe I'll see you. I'm planning on going there in next January, so maybe I'll see you. Oh great. man, yeah. Keep in touch for that for sure. If you're down there, that'd be rad to hang out with. Definitely, like, man. Yeah, yeah, that would be a lot of fun. And listen, before I let you go, congratulations on the baby. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's it is a whole world. It's it's challenging in its own way, but it's it has made me like the happiest person in the world, man. Yeah, you can hear it in your voice, and that that's. <laughs> I think no. I think you hear me being. I think that's the tiredness. That's that's the <laughs> bad part. <laughs> well, great, Sanjay. Thank you so much for your time today. This was a blast. Ah, uh, Zach, man, thanks a lot, man. kind of girl that likes chilling but tonight something's up she was sexy as what the jimmy chews out and got that funny look like you ain't going no you ain't going but you got a man girl so play fair and you're looking real fine right there this is what she's saying to me Well, there you have it. There's my conversation with Sanjay Saran. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope it inspired you to check out Delhi to Dublin's music if you haven't already. Um, I, you know, I use that word unique a lot in the intro to this podcast, but I really mean it. I mean, I think if you haven't heard them before, if you go on YouTube or if you go on iTunes and look them up, um, they really do have quite a unique and interesting sound. So be sure to check out particularly their new album, their newest album, uh, We're All Daisy. And you can find show notes and links to everything we talked about in today's episode at travelsinmusic.com and just click on the link that says blog and you'll find the post for this episode right at the top.
One more reminder before I let you go that the best way to show your support for Travels and Music is to go on iTunes and subscribe and leave a rating and a review. I know I say it all the time, but they, they make a huge difference, and it would really mean a lot to me if you could take, oh, I don't know, 14 seconds out of your day and, uh, and subscribe and leave a rating and review. Until next week, my name is Zachary Stockhill. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. And remember that life is short, so be sure to travel widely and go to places with amazing food like North India. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.